Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we have with us Bridget Finclair. She is a spiritual teacher and the author of the novel Red Dress. She is also the facilitator of the study group for the Book of Knowledge, The Keys of Enoch, and the creator of the life-changing program, The Bone Circle, where she weaved together the strands of her spiritual and professional journey and created something unique. It is our pleasure to welcome Bridget. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Good evening to you. Yes, it's, I've just put the light on. It's just starting to get dark here. Are you in South Africa? Yes, I'm in Cape Town. Or I'm actually about 20 minutes drive out of Cape Town in a place called Hout Bay, which is right on the ocean. It's beautiful. Mountains. Yeah. Oh, I will have to tell you what really, really stuck out to me was that you facilitate a study group for the Book of Knowledge, The Keys of Enoch. I do still do that. I still facilitate that. It's my love. It's what I do. And I teach every Tuesday evening. So I have a small online group that I teach on a Tuesday evening. And then every other Monday, I'm teaching as part of a roster, the Pistis Sophia, which is also part of the Academy for Future Science. And that's Nag Hammadi. And it's all the divine feminine returning. So Pistis Sophia is the personification of faith and wisdom, but she's a woman. And it's a really, really great um, book to read. So we're doing that. And so there's quite a lot of study going on and a lot of work, because I think anybody who's in the spiritual world at the moment is doing a lot of work in terms of where we're heading and creating a new way of being and anchoring that divine feminine and anchoring a spiritual way of being. We're in this amazing gateway moment, aren't we? So... You know, I, I find myself quite busy with like kind of prayer groups and meditation groups and teaching. The I know. I feel the same way. I get so excited about so many different things that are happening. So I'm like, we have to have a group for that. We have to be on that. <laughs> Just yeah. a little overwhelming. And then you suddenly realize you need three of you because there's too much going on. A clone, for sure. Yeah, I do. I definitely need a clone. <laughs> oh, I love that. Is the Keys of Enoch an actual book? Yes, it is. I actually don't have it beside me right now because okay. I tend to keep it out on a different desk where I study. Really fascinating. I love the book of Enoch and yeah. I have done a lot of my own study within my journey. Mandy said when she was really getting into your book, she read more than half of your book and she said it was like she was basically writing our story in the things that we've received and downloaded. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people that have read it find that Katie really relatable. So there's bits of people just relate to her and there's something in her. And it's interesting because it's almost as if she's a mirror. So if you've done your work and you've been on that journey, you can kind of laugh with her and go on that journey with her. If you haven't done your work and you haven't been on that journey, that book can be quite painful to read because it's kind of going, okay, this is going on. So it kind of can mirror people. Yes, Katie was very relatable, especially from the get-go, like her relationship with her husband all the way up to what she was receiving. And I will tell you, it's so weird that you just said mirror. Because the entire time I was reading the book, I was almost picturing like her getting these downloads and the, this voice was talking to her through a mirror. I kept envisioning a mirror. Yeah, so it's so interesting that you just said that. 
but I, I definitely enjoyed the book. I would love to hear how um, you came up with the title um, Red Dress and what inspired you to write the book in the first place. Okay, great question, Mandy. So um, I kind of like, I kind of give you some preamble to get into it, if that's okay. Shut me up if I'm going on for too long. I've lived here in Cape Town for nine years. So when I was in London, I used to have a friend, very, very spiritual friend. And we used to do, we were just been talking about the keys of Enoch. We used to study the keys of Enoch together in London. And she always used to tell me, you're going to write a book. And, you know, it's one of those friends, I didn't take any notice of her. But she kept saying it very matter of fact, like when your book is published, and so eventually I kind of had to take that seed on board of that idea. And in the back of my mind, I kind of thought, OK, I, she's probably right because, you know, she is right about these things and I'm going to have to write a book. Anyway, life took over and it got really crazy busy. I ended up doing this training course in my intuition to learn how to tap in at will to your intuition rather than it just coming in. And, you know, the voice comes in and you've got to learn to listen to it, but then to actually be able to tap in at will. And I did this whole training and what came up was for me to come to South Africa, actually, which was uh, quite scary, but I wanted to test it to the max. I arrived in South Africa, didn't really know anybody. And I was on a Skype call with another friend of mine, completely independent, a guy from uh, Australia. And he just went, you know, you're going to write a book. And I thought, OK, this is just too weird. OK, two people have told me I'm going to write a book. That afternoon, I had somebody knock on my door. Bear in mind, I'd just lived here two weeks. I didn't know anybody. So this guy knocks on my door and it's my neighbor from across the road. He said, would you like to come for a party? We're having a party this evening. So I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And I arrive and his wife, whose birthday it is, is an author. And everybody there is either a publisher or an author. And I can't, OK, the world, the universe is telling me something here. So then it was a matter of tapping into my intuition to write it. And what I kept getting very, very strongly is it's going to be a novel and that kind of scared me because I knew I was capable of writing a non-fiction, you know, a seven ways to enlightenment or something like that. I knew I could write that because I'd had a previous uh, career many years ago before I had my kids in public relations and I used to write press releases and articles. So I knew I could write that. But the idea of writing a novel was, oh no, this is really scary. Have I got to really do this? So there was a lot of procrastination and, uh, as you can imagine, and resistance. And eventually I kind of got down to writing it and I went into a meditative state and just started writing. And I kind of got from you know, my own intuitive guidance, just keep going, don't start criticizing it, don't start second guessing it, just keep going. It took a long time for it to actually become the novel Red Dress because it all had to be rewritten and restructured, but the central idea was there. The reason it's called Red Dress is Actually, at the beginning, the working title was Alchemy by Numbers, and I did a kind of a reading from the original manuscript, and a whole load of people arrived thinking I was going to be talking about numerology, which does feature in the book, but I thought, okay, now I need to change the title. Then it was going to be called Golden, and there was a few other books called Golden. And I had a few names that I kind of had, and I was talking to a group of friends, you know, circles of women, great, to be around circles of like-minded women. Hey? And I was just with this circle of women, and we were sitting, and I was saying, you know, writing this book, and I wasn't sure what to call it. And Red Dress was one of the titles that had come in. And this one lady just went, Red Dress, oh, if it was called Red Dress, I'd buy it. So I thought, that's it, that's the title. And it's actually called that because the central character, Katie, she's funny, you know, and she's having this journey this spiritual journey she's a bit intrepid she's kind of on the fence and she's not sure whether she's going to go into it completely or not and she ends up working with orosoma bottles and the colors of the bottles of the orosoma which is a real thing you can go and do everything in the book is real it's all stuff you can go and do so she's working with these bottles and she's having to wear these ridiculous combinations of colors 
And eventually she's worked through all four of the bottles and she's free to wear any colour she likes. And she comes out of the shower, she opens the wardrobe and she's looking and she's thinking, oh, what am I going to wear to this event she's going to? And she hears this voice and it goes, red dress. So that's why it's called red dress. <laughs> I love that. Katie sounds so fun. Is there a little bit of Bridget and Katie and Katie and Bridget? How, you know, how much of the story is yours? Um, look, it's, it is loosely autobiographical and the events of her life do follow mine. She's, she's a, a therapist and I was a therapist on Harley Street. She lives in West London. She doesn't live where I live, but I did used to live in London. I did used to be married to the tall, dark, handsome, and I, did, I do have two children. So, and there's things about her, like she likes dark chocolate and so do I, and she likes driving fast and so do I. But I think the difference is that I've been on the spiritual journey for about 30 years and she's just started her spiritual journey. So she's quite naive about it all. So yes, of course, there's bits of me in her and bits of her in me. But I would also say that, that there's bits of me in some of the other characters. It is, well, the first thing is it is a fiction. Um, and the second thing is that there are other characters that I think are me. So her best friend is called Shanti and she knows everything about anything spiritual. And actually, there's parts of me that are shanty. There's parts of me that are the voice. And because I used to be a therapist, there's, she's got a, a, her supervisor, her therapist is called Terry. And there's parts of me that are Terry as well. So it's not as click up. But yes, yeah, certainly a lot of her is me. And a lot of the life events that she goes through are also mine. So, but it's a fiction. But it, she's a fun person. I'm assuming a lot of the messages too, like the, that were received in her meditations, were those what you received? Yeah, some of those were messages that I received, but some of it is just the learning, having been on that path for so long and dipped into so many different teachings, and particularly the Keys of Enoch that we were talking about earlier and things like Course in Miracles and you know all the wonderful teachings that are out there, we all know about those. I think just those years of learning and growing, both as a therapist and on a spiritual journey, enabled me to voice the voice and come through with those wisdoms so really, I'm sharing 30 years worth of pearls of wisdom, but doing it in a fun way through Katie. You mentioned that your journey, you've been going on it for, you said, 30 some years. Are you only 30 or, or should we assume that maybe that <laughs> there was a, something prior to that? There was something prior to that. I'm actually almost 60. <laughs> Thank you. It's actually not till next year. I should stop saying that. I'm 59. Yeah. I'm 59. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my I had my daughter when I was 30 so she's 29 now and um, that was a really big turning point in my life I think many of us who were on a spiritual path probably chose it at soul level before we even came in chose our parents chose our family chose our path and then there'd be something that shakes us up to go onto that spiritual journey um, whether that's you know I think one of you had a near-death experience and whether it's that or whether it's uh, illness or whether it's addiction or whether it's grieving or loss or something kind of shakes us up and puts us on that journey and I chose a really really challenging family and to be born into uh, I'm, I'm grateful to them now and I've forgiven them and I love them unconditionally and all of that because they shaped who I am now but going through it at the time was was quite challenging and I think when I left home I kind of did that fake it till you make it thing Try to oh yeah it's the 80s I'm moving to London it's all cool and it's just the mask that you're wearing and inside you're hurting I had some really disastrous relationships <laughs> really you know it's quite 
sad inside and just pretending everything was okay. But when I had my daughter, I thought, no, I can, actually, I'm a grown up now. You know, I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got to adult now. Um, and I don't think my mother or my parents, my either of my parents, are very good role me models for parenting. So I wanted to be the best mom I could be and look after this beautiful little baby that I'd had. I had a son two years later as well. So I really wanted to do my best at that. And I, I recognized that there were problems. And I think that's the first thing is to recognize um, that there are issues there and to have the courage to face those and, and go on that journey. So it was having her really that pushed me onto that spiritual journey. As she started off with me thinking, I need to have therapy. But very quickly, the spiritual journey came in as well. And it felt like there was these two parallel paths that I was taking and both of them were about me about a journey of self-discovery and self-healing so there was the traditional route if you like of kind of like okay what's happened what's gone on discussing things looking back at childhood I actually went for counseling rather than therapy and then there was the spiritual path there's more to life than this and I was always interested in that even as a kid I was always interested my grandmother was quite psychic and used to tell the tea leaves and things like that and she was like one of those wise old women and I used to love going to visit her and I think even as a teenager I was always interested in things like that um so it's always there when you look back isn't it it's just what sort of gets you on the path oh I can relate to so much of that and you're right uh, Shannon and I talk a lot about how unfortunately our pain is usually what puts us on our path to purpose and that's definitely what happened for both of us. I'm also extremely fascinated with this workshop that Shanna was talking about with the Book of Enoch. I, before we really dive into your book, The Red Dress, can you, because I find it so fascinating and I think it's so beautiful. And what is it about the keys of Enoch that you love to teach and that you feel like people need to know? That's a great question. Okay, so I really wish I had the book in front of me. I think I need to start bringing it in here because quite a few people have asked me about it. So I believe that the keys calls you and you find the keys at the right time for you when you're at the right level of consciousness. And what happened for me is I went, I was on this whole spiritual journey where I was being fast tracked and I was doing a lot of different, lots and lots of different modalities. One of the things I did was the reconnective healing, Eric Pearl's reconnection, and that comes from the keys of Enoch. If you read his book, The Reconnection, he talks about going to see this woman and she, it all comes from one of the keys, which is key 317, I believe. And then there was doing another thing called magnified healing. Also, that kind of came from, it was to do with Guan Yin. Uh, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. And the woman who kind of brought that through also studied the keys of Enoch. And then there was another one which was called Guide on Heart, which was supposed to be a visualization of the keys of Enoch. So when I did the magnified healing mastery level, the woman who ran that said to me, you're a true master and you really need to read the keys of Enoch. And I'd kind of been thinking I need to do it anyway, because it kept showing up in my life, this Keys of Enoch, what is it? So I ordered it and um, I went off on holiday. This is when I was living in England. I went off on holiday in August. And when I came back from holiday, I had this great big pile of posts that the neighbor had put on my kitchen table. And there was this great big chunky package because it's quite a big book. It's like the Bible. It's about the size of the Bible. I thought, what's that? And I ripped it open and I just took this book out and I was mesmerized. It's, like, it's got a white cover with gold writing with these seven hands in mudra holding these lights that are coming down from a dove with this geometry in the middle. And I was like, whoa. And uh, I opened it up and I just looked at them. There's things called glyph pages, which are the keys themselves. 
And I just got fascinated. And, you know, my ex-husband and my kids were trying to unpack their bags and put the heating on and sort everything out. And they were going, and they started to nag me. When are we having something to eat, mum? You know, when are you going to put that bloody book down? And I just couldn't stop reading it. And it, it's incomprehensible, actually, to just sit and read it. So I just looked at the pictures and looked at these lift pages. And then I found out that you need, I actually went back to the woman who originally told me you should, should read it. And she said, no, you need to go to a study group. So I found that there was a study group in London and this was 15 years ago. I've been studying for 15 years and I absolutely love it. So it's, an, it's a multi-dimensional teaching and it's written on seven levels and it's incredibly diverse and wide. It's a capstone teaching, so it includes lots of different teachings in there. So we've got Egyptian, we've got Tibetan bond tradition, you've got the Christ, you've got the Tree of Life, Kabbalah, Hebrew. So it lots and lots of stuff in there. It's actually the keys to future science. And there are 50, well, there's 64 different keys altogether, 54 of which are in that first book. And they're the keys that open your consciousness. So I find it infinitely fascinating because you read one key, you don't really get it. You're kind of hanging on by your fingernails. And then you read another key and it gives you a piece of the jigsaw for that key. And then when you go back to that key, you understand it both. And then when you've read the whole keys, and then now the last 10, by the way, have been brought out and they weren't, weren't allowed to be brought out until the consciousness of man was ready. And they started coming out six years ago, which is really telling because we've only got 10 love the last. And this year is key 406, which is the sixth of those last 10 which are the light picture superscripts and they're the commandments of light and they're absolutely amazing and they're all the sort of the next thou shall be the light and thou shall be the image and they're just incredible but very very high vibration they're the highest truth i've ever found the highest teaching i've ever found and a lot of things that we now uh in our normal lexicon originated in the keys which came through in 1973 dr hertak who wrote it had a paraphysical experience where he was taken off planet in the Merkabah of, Met of Enoch and then Metatron, which is why it's called the Keys of Enoch. It's the same Enoch as the Book of Enoch. Um, and so things, even things like Metatron, nobody really heard of Metatron in those days. Now everybody knows what Metatron's cube is and you know all of these geometries which are in the keys. Ooh. So it goes from the subatomic up to the superluminal on seven different levels. So everything you're reading is programming you on seven levels to open the time locks of your mind, to open your consciousness and to prepare us for what's, for what's to come. And it sets out this vast cosmology. And we really, really get to understand inside out what's happened here and why we're trapped in this kind of fallen space and why we've got all this awfulness playing out right now. And we're going through the end times, but of course that's the new beginning and we call it the Yom or the day of light. It's our day of graduation where we go up and we collectively work together um, to create a new earth, a new paradigm in a higher dimension, to go into that space of ascension, looking at the nuts and bolts of all of that and the science of all of that. It, I could talk probably just about the keys of Enoch. I, I mean, it's amazing, Bridget, because everything that you're saying, you know, I've received, Mandy's received, you know, we're just two suburban mothers, but like you said, everyone's starting to know about some of these things collectively, which is yeah. amazing and a miracle in itself. So you obviously are helping people decode some of these books that are hard to read. I mean, of course, the miracles you do as well, which I had to definitely get the dummy version of that to really fully understand it. I think it's called Course of Miracles Made Easy or something like that, because I really did. I was, I, I, like you said, when you had received that one book, when I got the Course of Miracles, I was like, are you kidding me? 
like, this is way too many words in a book. It's not going to work for me. But having support to go through these books and being able to discuss in those groups, I'm sure is just very helpful. For sure. I mean, yeah, it's an absolutely amazing teaching. In terms of um, Course in Miracles, I taught it for a year. Uh, but when I, by the time I taught it, I'd already been teaching the keys for a long time. So okay. when I first got Course in Miracles, like you, I just thought, are you kidding me? I'm going to sat on my bookshelf for ages. And I even put that in red dress. You know, the, the, She has this little group. Of, she says everybody that's awakening, she calls them Moses, M-O-S-E-S, Movement of Spiritually Enlightened Souls. And she says that they've all got they've all got the Course in Miracles on their bookshelf, but they never open it. And um, which I think is probably a true state of affairs. So Course in Miracles sat on my bookshelf for years and years. And it wasn't until I'd moved to South Africa and I'd been teaching keys for ages that I went back to it. And I thought, you know what, I should I'll have a dip into this. And by then, because my consciousness had been opened by the keys, I found it relatively easy. So I ended up teaching it. But what I found with um, Course in Miracles, there's lots of wonderful things in there. And there's lots of wonderful lessons and it's brilliant. And if you want to do it, it's fabulous. And it's really heart centered and it's really lovely. But somehow I always felt defeated by it. I always felt like, oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to live up to what it's asking me to do. It's impossible in this system of things. So it's incredibly frustrating because you're just kind of setting yourself up to fail. Whereas with the Keys of Enoch, it's the other way around. You feel, when you've decoded, which is a great word, I always go, let's unpack this one. And we, go, we sit and discuss it. What does this really mean? Because when you've uncoded it, you feel incredible expansion and uplifted and joyous because it's so positive um, in terms of, you know, you, there's basically nothing to worry about. And we're constantly being helped by our guides and by the Lords of Light and the local thought adjusters and all these over self body of light and the Christ and the office of the Christ and the office of the Holy Spirit and Michael and Melchizedek and Metron. So I mean, if you look at this picture behind me, this is Keys of Enoch as well as this is the divine feminine returning. So it's a wondrously, wondrously uplifting uh, teaching. But yes, lots of wonderful things happen. And you really feel like you're meeting your family of light. I will agree with you. There's been so many books in, in my life that I read I was like, oh, that's a good book. And I didn't quite get it. And then later in life, when it was more awakened, read it. And it was like, whoa, oh, I mean, like, wow, how did I not read this? And there's also those books that are so magical, like The Alchemist, that has different meanings every time I read it. And I wanted to ask you about this because I feel like religion, right? How they study the book together is a lot different than I end up approaching the Bible on my own. So I really had to kind of drop my belief system, which was very rooted into Catholicism and try to read the Bible from my perspective, and I definitely was inspired by Thich Nhat Hanh and his book, Living Buddha, Living Christ. It had a totally different meaning. And that's kind of what set me on many small journeys of curiosity to find out more and led me to even reading the book of Enoch, led me to consider that maybe we are higher beings from another planet. My whole life, I just sat at a church and had them tell me what it meant. So what makes your group and reading different? That's such an interesting question and a really difficult one to answer because the keys is so precise and it's not a scripture. Um, okay. It's more of a prophecy. 
Um, and it, it, it's apparently somebody put just the numbers themselves, like the different numbers and how their numbers work in there through a computer and said this could not have been written by a human being. So oh, it, it's wow. incredibly precise and how it locks together. And in fact, when the keys first came out in the 70s, Dr. Hertak was kind of shunned by the scientific community as he's, you know, he's a doctor. And he's like, um, no, they thought he'd gone mad. And now what's happening is many of those keys have been confirmed by science. So a lot of it is actually mm -hmm. like, things like string theory has been confirmed by science since then. Um, black holes have been confirmed by science since then. So it's it's actually quite scientific in its way. And some parts are, are spiritual. So prophetic, it sounds. Very yeah, prophetic. Very prophetic, but there's no, it's not about I think this and you think that, because what can happen is it's a multi-dimensional teaching. So you can go, you're okay. it's that and that and this and this and that and that. And everybody has their view on it. And that, mm -hmm. that view creates the facets of the diamonds. But I just want to knit back to what you because it's so interesting what you're saying about the Bible, because I didn't have a spiritual upbringing. I was brought up by Church of England and in, in England. <laughs> If you're Church of England, it basically means you go to weddings, funerals, and baptisms. <laughs> not at all spiritual or, or religious in any way at all. So I didn't have a religious upbringing, which actually is really served me because now one of my favourite books is the Bible. But I find it fascinating because I'm coming at it from a completely yeah. different perspective. From and I'm grieving as I read it, Bridget. I'm yeah. grieving everything I thought I knew and was told to believe. Literally, it's been very difficult. In a way, that's beautiful because it's cracking you open. Is it cracking your heart open to the higher truth? And what I love, the keys also correlates with the Bible because for every key, there's a scriptural reference as well. And Dr. Hanatak's <laughs> also done expositions on all the different books of the Bible and the ones that didn't make it into the Bible and things like the Book of Enoch and the Gospel of Thomas and all of those. And you start understanding like every time it says righteous in the Bible, they're really talking about the order of Melchizedek because he is the righteous king. And then okay. you start to learn this kind of coding and language of the Bible. I'm actually in the middle of reading Isaiah at the moment, which is just an amazing, incredible prophecy. Um, and if anybody's reading um, the book of Revelation, you'll know we're living through it um, and the thousand years of peace are coming. So. I, I agree with you that, that for me now, I wish I had more time to actually sit and study it properly. And it, it's so interesting that you also mentioned um, Thich Nhat Hung, which I had to learn oh. how to say. Is my son lives in Vietnam and he lives in Hue, which is where Thich Nhat Hung lives. And he's, he's, uh, his fiance is Vietnamese. So, and it's quoted in Red Dress. And there was, for the launch, I actually read that passage where she is quoting um, Thich Nhat and I had to learn how to say it. So really interesting that you should mention him as well. Oh. But I want to just also backtrack and say, yeah, all these books are interesting and difficult. And when we go back to them, we realize we know more. We're going into, we're delving here into the Bible and into the keys and Course in Miracles and all these wonderful books. And, and actually, a lot of those wisdoms and truths come out in red dress. There's even a mm. quote about something about one star is brighter than the other. And it's actually a, it's actually a kind of a, 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 a purposeful misquote from the Bible. So a lot of the sort of crux of the information from those teachings wind up in red dress. I, I loved that because I, I would get excited 
every time I was reading it, like, I think there was one where you were like in the car listening to Eckhart Tolle. And I was like, yay, Eckhart. And then, you know, then you were talking about Course in Miracles. And so, yeah, you had like throughout the whole book, breadcrumbs of all these amazing other books that you have read that have helped you along your journey. So I loved that. Gosh, Bridget, can you believe Mandy and I are just two suburban moms in Aurora, Colorado? We didn't seek this. We didn't ask for it. We didn't want it. We were fine just being asleep, not knowing any of it, you know, and you too. And here I laughed when you said you got your book and your family's like, come on, you're going to make me breakfast. My family's like that every night, you know, they're like, oh boy, now what do you got to tell me? Every day I got a new story. Like, you're not going to believe this. And they're like, oh God. Thing of seeding something. I mean, that teenagehood, my kids kind of rejected everything. But now both of them, well, my daughter's in Mexico and she's a writer and my son is permaculture and he's in Vietnam and they both meditate. So Bridget, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different than normal. Um, there's a particular page that just captivated me that I felt like was a good read for our listeners. In chapter four, and it starts with, are we creating it? The modern box myth where we keep learning from somebody else and carrying the baton onto the next treadmill. Oh, wow. Oh, the boxes. I would love for you to read it. Can you tell me which page it is? Do you know which page it is? Page 58. Okay, yeah. So the voice has just been talking to her. So she's got up and she's written this whole thing in her diary that she's supposed to be keeping for her therapist. So this is Katie, who's the central character she's been told to keep a dream diary and so she's waking up in a sweat and she reaches out to take a sip of water from the glass by her bedside and she notices her notebook so taking up the pen and holding a torch in her mouth so as not to wake richard she wrote they're on treadmills that keep going faster and longer and they're exhausted they're doing it for money the reward is two weeks off they get on a big tube with wings, a plane, and go to another part of the planet where the boxes are a bit different. I can see beaches and mountains. There's a forest with waterfalls. Fresh water. Thirst quenching. Drink it all in. Plump up and expand. Unwind and uncoil. They're pale and desiccated. Thirsting, not just for the water. They're looking for something real and warm. They're looking for happiness, kindness, something nurturing. They're joyful and alive for a moment, talking to the locals and enjoying their simple way of life. After putting down the pen and book and switching off the torch, she snuggled under the covers and closed her eyes. The dream resumed. The box people returned on the tubes with wings, oblivious to their treadmill lives. Behind the beach and at the edge of the woods, there were piles and piles of rubbish, stinking, rotting trash. The sea washed up water bottles, drink cartons and suntan lotion tubes, all covered in black tar. At the other side of the mountain was a gigantic gash, a massive quarry or mine, so big it made the people look like ants. Someone or something had been mining minerals, metals, gemstones, coal, oil, you name it, and they'd plundered it, hoarding it away in cavernous storehouses. It was a wholesale ransacking of the planet, the great mother, Earth, which seemed to be alive and crying like a person. 
She was collecting discarded boxes in her arms, stuffing them into her vast apron pockets. Plumes of noxious smoke belched from a factory which was pumping out shiny new boxes at an alarming rate. Katie roused herself from the scene to write it all down. Competition, acquisition, consumption, said the voice. It took her by surprise. She thought it had gone. Would you like me to continue sharing wisdom? Shh! You're awake, Richard! He can't hear me. I thought you were confined to the landing mirror and my office. This is my private space, for God's sake. I'm sorry, we can resume tomorrow evening when you meditate. No, I'm wide awake now. What do you want? You're seeing where this sleeping human consciousness, this unthinking way of living, ultimately leads, aren't you? I think it's just a reflection of my own psyche, actually. All the symbols are parts of me. I really relate to the planet. All my resources are being drained while I take on other people's shit. I mean, rubbish. It's okay. I'm taking on other people's stuff. Not just clients, but Richard's as well. As within, so without. Your own psyche is a reflection of the outer world. Humans use Earth's bounty as if it were boundless, turning a blind eye to mounting problems and hoping she goes on sw swallowing your detritus. Hadn't thought of it that way. Out of sight, out of mind. But it's happening, Katie. Are we creating it? This modern box myth where we keep learning from somebody else and carrying the baton onto the next treadmill? Yes, but you could create something else. How? Stop seeing life as something you have to get through. It's not a game you have to win. It's not Monopoly, you know. You're not here to learn the rules, shake the dice, pass go and pick up 200 pounds. It's not about trophies and trinkets and possessions or how much you can get. You don't shuffle off this world saying, thank goodness we got through it with our pension and nest egg intact. There are more noble reasons for life. Like what? You have a divine self, a greater self, which chose to come here to explore, learn, expand, become more aware and grow. You all have it. It's waiting for you to wake up and fully express your true essence. It wants you to follow your bliss. Not a spa package with a scented steam room, but your soul's joy, the thing that makes you alive with enthusiasm. Isn't that a bit selfish? On the contrary, it's a service to humanity in the world. You're each a piece of a larger jigsaw. When you follow your soul's purpose, you're contributing. And joy is the best contagion there is. But how do I follow it? That's what I'm here to share with you. But not now. Richard will be awake in precisely 19 minutes and you need your sleep. But the voice was gone. Oh my gosh. Hey. Yes. <laughs> now, Shannon, don't you want to like cheer and stand up? Yes, I was laughing. <laughs> I mean, Bridget, how lovely. And I also love the um, slight humor of the spirit guide, which I think so many people say that. I know mine is. Mine thinks he's freaking hilarious. He's a Buddhist monk who's on a vow of silence who doesn't talk to me. 
didn't talk to me forever until he told Eric in my past life regression that he always spoke to me when in all of my writings he's always speaking to me oh awesome i do think beautiful laughter is i love this this quote that I, I don't know where it's from but i've carried it for years which is enlightenment comes with a great big belly laugh and not a knowing sneer and we always say in the keys of enoch if we're giggling or laughing and we say the shekinah is present which is the presence of the divine. And it's the she, it's the divine feminine. And that's when the laughter comes. Oh, I love that. Well, Mandy and I are pretty, well, we think we're pretty funny sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure you are, it's awesome. <laughs> no, but you know what? When you're just being real and you're just being authentic and you're just speaking from your heart and your mind, sometimes it's freaking funny. Exactly. Are you going to do a voice audible? You must be about the fourth person who's asked me that. You should. Um, I'd love yeah. to do it. And I think the part of me thinks, oh, but I'm not trained and I'm not professional. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, you are a mother who probably read many bedtime stories, which makes you <laughs> That's a professional. True. That's, true. <laughs> That's true. I'm owning that one. Okay. Because you can almost feel Katie. You know what I mean? And you could feel the spirit guide. It's just so much when the person who writes it reads it. I wanted to point out that during that reading, it also gave a tangible tool to use to journal and to write down your dreams and to keep track of everything. So throughout your book, not only are you getting a beautiful story, but you're getting tangible resources and tools that you can use in your life during your journey. And I love that, Bridget. Thank you, Mandy. That was my intention as well, that people could pick up whatever they want, whether that's the journaling or the meditation or some of the other things she does, or whether it's Eckhart Tolle or any of these books that she reads or people that she sees. And they're, they're all authentic and people can dip into those. And if, the, if people that read yeah. it just have fun and enjoy it, that's fine. But if, if everybody that reads it takes away one little nugget of something that can help them, then that will be my bliss. Man, that is so brilliant of you though. I think that writing this fiction book rather than having to tell your story just gives you so much room. A lot of writing nowadays, especially, and the way novels are written nowadays are very much written like a screenplay. So you have to be able to show it rather than tell it. So books nowadays, it don't go once upon a time, there was this woman called Katie and she lived in Indonesia. It doesn't go like that. It, it's, it's all conversations and she jumped on the train and it was really busy and she rushed against the rush hour traffic and tried to get there on time. And so you're always painting a picture for the reader. Did you have it planned out before? I mean, is this something like you dreamed of or sat around daydreamed of and you're like, gosh, this is a whole book? No, and what happened was, as I said, I, I went, when I finally started writing the book, I went into a meditation and I connected with my guidance. And I, I have a meditation that I teach others as well, which is called uh, a spirit guide writing. And I went into that and I connected with that spirit guide writing and they just, I just heard the voice, open your eyes and start typing. So I just did, and I can type really quickly. So touch type. So I was just typing away on my laptop and it just happened that she was a woman who was dressed, who was in London and had, and I just thought, oh no, this is too close to home. I can't write, write this, it's too much. So I had this voice that just went, no, just keep going. Don't stop and start criticizing it. So I carried on writing for about three hours. And then I went for a walk on the beach here and it was middle of winter. June, which seems odd, I know it's upside down because we're in South Africa, but it was, it was 
a storm and a gale and I went out I was probably the only person on the beach and I walked along the beach and I kept thinking well I can't really call uh, originally the character was called Kirsty after a friend of mine that I'd just been chatting to and I thought I can't call her Kirsty she's got to have an identity of her own so I just decided it was going to be Katie and then I thought it can't be autobiographical it can't just be my life but let's plot some of the points of the things that have happened in my life um, and work and some of the wisdom, but also some of the things that happened, you know, my marriage broke up as well. And, you know, all sorts mm -hmm. of things like how teenage kids are. So I put all of that in and I wrote it, but it wasn't really structured as a novel. And what happened then when I found the publisher is they said, we love the way you write and we love what you've written, but it's like a series of vignettes. It's these little short stories all strung together, but it doesn't really make a novel. So I had to go away for a year and learn how to write a novel and learn how to structure it. And then I did some work with my daughter because she um, is a screenwriter, but she was trained as an actor. And as an actor, they have to take a character, really, really, really develop that character and make it into something. So she talked to me about characterization. So I learned from her about characterization. And then all the characters in the book, I would actually write every the stuff I know about those characters that you'll never even get in the book, you know, like who their grandfather is and who them, what happened to them at school and what their favorite color is and also so I could get inside the head of the character and really make them. I mean, Shanti is a completely fictitious character, but I just love her. I know exactly what she's going to say and who she is and everything about her when I write her. And it made it much easier to write the dialogue. And then I had to plot the points. So there was not enough tension in the story. So that's why I brought in the, the, uh, the guy that has the love and sex addiction and goes to do the 12 step at the Priory. And that was all. And then you start making things up like his awful wife. And you suddenly realize like I'd wake up in the middle of the night and have to, I'd have this notepad by my bed because I'd come up with these, I'd have to write them down because you forget them by the morning. And I think, or I go for a walk somewhere. There's, there's always the times, isn't it? When you're having a shower, or you're driving and you're stuck at the lights or you're having, you're in the bar or you're you know walking the dog or whatever those are the times you get the get the or you wake up in the night those are the times you get the ideas and I'd have voice notes on my phone and I'd have notepads and I would think oh I know let's make him a sex addict you know oh I know let's make the wife real nasty piece of real sort of iron made the iron made the ice maiden I think we call her in the book so you can have enormous fun making these characters that of, um, can clash against each other and create tension. So, in fact, I had to go back and rewrite the whole thing. So, whole process. You know, yeah. we have a lot of people that are going through awakenings that reach out to us asking how to keep their relationships and their marriages together when they're shifting and when they're awakening because it kind of puts distance between couples when one's awakening and one's not and I kind of felt that between well, Katie and Richard at the beginning it was your intention like to kind of show that sometimes going through an awakening can cause a shift in in a marriage and in a relationship yes for sure and I think that is true I do know a lot of people who've gone on a spiritual path of awakening and ended up splitting up from their partner because if one grows and the other doesn't it's very very difficult sometimes it works I think if somebody's got a really great marriage and a or a partnership and they really do love that person and the other person is there to support them through that path but doesn't want to take it themselves 
that's absolutely fine and you can work through that. But with um, Katie and Richard, Richard actually really doesn't want her to take that path, isn't interested in it and doesn't isn't really supportive of her. So then you're starting to see that rift. But I think as well with Richard, he's not a very nice character, is he? He's not very empathetic. So there's cracks in that marriage anyway. But yeah, it's a really valid point because a lot of people are awakening now because we're in that point of light you know the history of the planet really where the, the the higher light is coming in and we are awakening there is a mass awakening and i think for couples either they've really got to be really really tight and love each other and one supports the other through the journey and is happy for to be the the, the holder if you like the container for them the rock the foundation for that growth but doesn't necessarily take the journey themselves or they take the journey together or they're going to find out going their separate ways because I think eventually it's impossible for someone who's awakening to be with someone who's not sympathetic to that or supportive. If you think about it, it's such an oxymoron. You're awakening to oneness, yet sometimes going through it creates separation almost. I think when you make that decision to awaken or to go on a spiritual path or raise your consciousness, something else takes over. It's like your overself, your guides, and something bigger than you. In the beginning of Red Dress, she hands over to God and then it goes from there, you know, gathers momentum. But I think that's sometimes it's that you're not in alignment with that other person to grow. Uh, you've, there's nothing else you're going to learn from that relationship. And so that relationship splits up, but it's doing it for a bigger reason. And it's because the, and, and you'll get this in the sequel to Red Dress, actually. you get this in the sequel. The sequel's about a third of the way through, is why it all had to happen that way. And we start to understand why. And Richard's actually holding her back from that. And there's a whole other story. Which, there's soul contracts and things with people, and we have to split up from those, and we have to heal past life stuff. And there's so many things. And then eventually Great. you become in alignment with who you're meant to be with. I loved that part when you read it. And you said, well, he was like, well, isn't that selfish? She said, no, it's for the greater good of humanity. That we're all part of that greater jigsaw. Yeah. We've each got our part to play. And if we're not yeah. playing our part, there's a hole in the jigsaw. So we've got to be yeah. show up as our true self. I just think your book is just absolutely beautiful. I, I mean, I see so much in this book. I see lessons. I see the tools. I see the knowledge and the wisdom. And I see like this grander story that most people can relate to. I mean, it's freaking brilliant. I, I love it. I can't wait to actually physically buy it and get it in my hands because it's beautiful as well. <laughs> yeah. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. Transformation through revealing knowledge. And if I look back at everything I've done, it's always been about that, whether it was as a therapist or as a writer or as a teacher now. It's always about sharing wisdom, sharing and revealing knowledge and so that others may take that knowledge and transform. So that's what I'm about, awakening people um, into, into a, tr a positive transformation and doing that through story in the case of Red Dress. I just think there's so much beautiful wisdom out there. I love what you were saying about humor coming in because I think it is, it's fun. And it's about having this amazing fun journey. Of course, it's not fun all the time. Of course, we have to sometimes face our pain. Sometimes we have difficult days, you know, things happen. 
but overarchingly there's fun and you're growing and you're learning and it's fulfillment and purpose and so if I look at say my the training work that I do which is the bone circle that's really helping people to live their lives on purpose according to their purpose and according to the life they've come here to live what are their gifts and talents and skills and passions because we need to live those to be all parts of that jigsaw or parts of that tapestry and to bring that to life. Because when we're living that joy, we're unstoppable. So yeah. I'm very passionate about all of that. Can you tell everybody where, if they want to maybe, you know, learn more about the Keys of Enoch and join your study group, is it open to anyone or? My study group is only open, unfortunately, to people in South Africa, because it does go by country, but- Okay. Dr. Hertak and Desiree Hertak, his wife, who wrote, well, Dr. Hertak wrote The Keys of Enoch, is in Arizona. And they have teachers all across the US. There are teachers all across Europe, Russia, everywhere in the world, there are teachers. And the best thing, if you want to get into The Keys of Enoch, is to go to their main website, which is www.keysofenoch.org. And on there, you will see that there's links to the different country websites as well. There's also one in Australia. So all across the world, there's study groups. And if you want to go into the Keys, that's the best thing to do is to get into a study group. And they do webinars. They've also got a YouTube channel. I think it's called Future Science. Okay. Um, because the umbrella organization for the Keys of Enoch is called Academy for Future Science, AFFS. So that's Keys of Enoch. Well, I'm definitely going to get online right now and order this big white divine book. And I'll probably have the same reaction from my children when I get it, when I can't put it down. <laughs> and as, along with your book, The Red Dress, which I'm super excited about, where can everybody get that book? Red Dress, you can get it anywhere that you can get books, basically. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at any bookshop. You can get it in paperback. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on an ebook. So just about anywhere. If you go to John Hunt Publishing, which is the publisher, johnhuntpublishing.com, and search for Red Dress by Bridget Finclair, you'll see that they've got a lot of links on there where you can buy the ebook or the paperback. Um, and if you go to my website, there's also some links on there. But my website is bridgetfinclair.com. And I'll spell that. I'm sure you've got notes, but it's an unusual name. So it's B-R-I-D-G-E-T and then F for Freddy, I-N-K-L-A-I-R-E, Bridget Finclair. So it's www.bridgetfinclair.com. And also I'm on social media. So do follow me and do sign up for my newsletter because if I do book signings or a book tour or readings or do the audio or anything I that comes out, that, that'll come out on newsletter and also information about the trainings that I do. Well, it's awesome. been a pleasure, Bridget. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've so loved talking to you and Mandy. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And I'm so glad you like my book. Um, love I'd it. love it to go out there because I just do think it's full of wisdom and people will have fun reading it. So thank you so much for interviewing me. You're absolutely welcome. We will definitely welcome you back 100% for that, for the second one and the third one. Awesome. I would love that. That would be fantastic. We are excited to announce that we have created a Sense of Soul Patreon page to help support our podcast. You will get extended versions and early access to Sense of Soul podcast episodes. We will be launching exclusive short mini series. Right now, you can listen to my ancestry journey called Untangled Roots. 
this mini series in its entirety right now on Sense of Soul Patreon. Mandy is also releasing her new mini series, The Story of Her Two Near Death Experiences. You won't want to miss that. Workshops each month, live readings, behind the scene bloopers that I'll only share on Patreon. You'll be able to join our Sense of Soul Sacred Circles. And depending on what membership level, you will be getting some merch and many other things. Hop on Sense of Soul Patreon and sign up to help support Sense of Soul Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.